he would drive 25 miles from where we lived, passing other liquor stores to go further out because he didn't even want people to see him buying the liquor. Hello, everyone. It's Monday and shit is wild out there. I'm your host, Ricky. I'm Jules. I'm Kenny. And we will be off video today because the scrump sisters. Scump. Scump. <laughs> the scump sisters had a bit of a dust up just then and then sat around and talked about it and cried for three hours like totally normal people. We hate crying. <laughs> Clearly. It was a doozy. Yep. But, you know, we're, we're the better for it. I encourage you, if you haven't already, to go and fight with your siblings today. For four Such hours. Such as making a podcast with your sisters. <laughs> we are the Scump Sisters. <laughs> if you don't already know who we are, then I would just go back and listen to our other episodes rather than me explain it to you because I'm sure everyone is tired of hearing that who's heard it. Well, I guess it's only 12 times now, <laughs> but you can follow us on all of the socials. We are on YouTube at LukeWhoIsYourFather.com. We are on TikTok at LukeWhoIsYourFatherPod, at JulesWhoIsYourFather, and at RickyJump. And we are on Instagram at LukeWhoIsYourFather, at RickyJump, and at KennyK23. We do so appreciate your reviews, both good and bad. We really try to appreciate those bad ones. They really build our character. You just keep going. Picking our skin up. <laughs> and if you haven't already, if you could go like, subscribe, leave a five-star review, write your thoughts in that little comment box. Let us know what you want to see more of. Let us know what you want to see less of. Let us know what stories you want to hear and share this podcast with a friend, foe, or sister that you're fighting with. That would also be great. Now for... Um, support us on Patreon. Oh my God. And our Patreon. We're getting more subscribers, which is so exciting. Uh, you can find us on Patreon. You can go to patreon.com slash Luke, who is your father, or go to their app and enter Luke, who is your father. We're doing happy hours. We're doing special episodes. We're doing spotlights if we want. Basically, we're doing anything we want. And that's the whole point. It's somewhere to have a little bit more fun and a little bit less crying and heaviness. Yeah. And if there's anything that you would like to hear that we're not doing please let us know also we have we're wrapping up interviewing for season two we're always gonna need more content we always are gonna need to talk to more of you beautiful people so if you have a story of your own to share of the who's your daddy variety you can submit on lukewhoisyourfather.com where you can also read our bios any mentions in the press or on other podcasts and see all of the platforms that we're streaming on indeed 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 and now for the question of the day kendall what is your favorite podcast that is not ours oh man wow. i feel like that changes like week to week at the moment red-handed i think pretty much i cycle through the true crimes so i'll just do morbid red-handed and first degree those are my fourth we love those ladies wow those are all ladies right they're Ooh, all ladies yeah and i don't like dude 
except like Dag Shepard. He's I, cool, but I don't like do podcasters. I got to see Red Handed live in Dallas this year. It was this year, right? And they are fucking incredible. It was like one of the most fun experiences in my life. We could only pray and hope. I don't even know what a tour for us would look like, but just the difference between the podcast and seeing them live. Hannah and Saruti. Jeez, you, you ladies are something. We really love those ladies. All of the true crime ladies and only the true crime ladies. Just kidding. We love you, Payne Lindsay. If anybody who listens to Morbid and wrote a listener tale about finding her long lost father recently, hit us up because I want to talk to you. <laughs> yeah, send us your listener tales about your fathers. Well, I, I just listened to one today where I, I was like, this listener tale. We bring them on. Talk to her. Bring them on yeah. right over here. Yeah. Bring them on right that. over here. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> Jules? Oh, man. I think I have to go. Obviously, there's recency bias, but you just said pain, Lindsay, which up and vanished. I love an investigative podcast. Kennel still has a listen to that. Is, are they unsolved? No, no, it is one oh. case, literally and he's the reason they solved it, it. Oh, during the podcast. It's amazing. <laughs> he has the most incredible voice, Pain Daddy. Yeah, oh. he's our true crime daddy. He is our true crime daddy. The name of the podcast has changed. It was the Piketon Massacre, and now it's the Idaho Murders. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if they have like an overarching name, but it, it's a bunch of journalists that really do deep dives into the Piketon Massacres was crazy. And then obviously the Idaho Murders very they just do a really good job and i love them and i need to branch out of two kind podcasts <laughs> i started listening to two kind podcasts on amazon music at the beginning of this year because it was so detrimental to my spotify wrapped but i have since regressed yeah oh my god my spotify wrapped is so disappointing because all i listen to is podcasts but that would be so fun we're going to do I'm deciding this right now. First of all, we're going to do a Luke, Who Is Your Father playlist. Ooh. And oh, then yeah. we want, at the end of the year, I'll remind you, don't worry, but we want to see all of your Spotify raps. Yes. And we'll, we can rap about it on the Patreon <laughs> or something. <laughs> but we want to see those. Some people, I think that there are two camps of people, people who hate to see other people Spotify wrapped, and those are obviously bad people, <laughs> and people who love to see other people Spotify wrapped, and those are obviously and good, people. good people. We look forward to it all year. Ricky, your favorite podcast. Yeah, so I don't know if I've talked about it on the pod or just on our socials, but I made a New Year's resolution to not listen to any true crime podcast because it was truly a compulsive behavior <laughs> for me. So... I stopped doing that this year, and now I have my regular rotation. Obviously, Armchair Expert, I really wanted to not like that podcast, and it is so good. And they have a lot of podcasts under that umbrella. So there's also Flightless Bird, which is a New Zealander trapped in America and just investigating all things what makes America tick. It is so good. You're Wrong About, which is where they sort of debunk things that have been perpetuated in the media. And then, of course, we have This Is Actually Happening. That happens every Tuesday. Great day. Those are my favorites. You also did tell me about true crime bullshit. Oh, yeah. Which is... See, I was bad. Such (laughs) a deep dive into the Israel Keys case. And that guy is 
I mean, an incredibly talented researcher. (laughs) I thought you were going to say an incredibly talented murderer. I know. I thought you you were talking about Israel Keys as an incredibly talented researcher. He's a really good researcher and the music that he incorporates into his episodes. Oh, the music's the best. It is so, yeah, that was a good one. We would also be remiss not to mention if you are not so into Zimmerder or any of the other ones I listed and you like podcasts more similar to this one you would be crazy not to listen to dna surprises remember we just interviewed alexis and if you don't remember then go back and listen to her because she's so amazing and that brings me just really nicely into introducing our guests for this week what a beautiful segue i love that was talented (laughs) nice hosts of the family twist podcast we have kendall and Corey. they are so incredible the cutest couple. I want to go hang out with them on the East Coast in their pool. Kendall has a really, really beautiful adoption story that we're bringing to you all. It is obviously not without its bumps and bruises, and this will be a two-pada, so just strap in. Two-pada. But this week, we're really going to talk to Kendall about his upbringing and his adoptive parents and how he made his way out into the world after that. So without further ado, please enjoy Kendall and Corey of the Family Twist podcast. Kendall, Corey, thank you so much for joining us today. Welcome to Luke, Who is Your Father. Kendall and Corey are the hosts of the Family Twist podcast, one of our favorite podcasts and certainly our favorite design for a podcast. Love it so much. Welcome. How are you guys? We're doing well. And thanks so much for having us. Yeah, we appreciate it. Of course. We are elated to have you. Where are you calling in from today? We are in New Hampshire. Most people probably had never heard of Rochester, but that's where we live. Lots of other Rochesters are much more well-known than Rochester, New Hampshire, (laughs) but we're right by the seacoast area. Well, we're so excited for you guys to tell your story today. We know it's very Kendall forward, but Corey, Mm -hmm. we want to hear yours as well. So let's get into it. Kennel, Corey, you have your your podcast, the Family Twist podcast, because you, Kendall, were thrown through quite the loop yourself. Mm-hmm. And your sort of entire life story and what got you up to this point is so fascinating. So we would love to just start at the beginning and work our way into your adoption story and everything that you've found out henceforth. So why don't you take it away and just tell us where and how you grew up? All right. Well, I grew up in a tiny, tiny town named Gosnell, Arkansas, which is the very, very northeast corner uh, of the state. And I always knew I was adopted. My parents, from the time I was can remember, would always tell me, you know, most moms and dads get stuck with whatever kid that they're given, but we got to choose you. You know, they always made me feel really special. And, you know, they couldn't have kept it a secret because my hometown is about as big as this room that we're sitting in. So, you know, it, you know, it was, it was known, right? They had been trying to have kids. They got married really young. They were 18 and 19 when they got married, but they immediately started 
started trying to start a family and they had had a couple of miscarriages. And by the time my mother turned 30, they kind of told her that she probably would never be able to, you know, carry a baby full term. I don't really know the specifics of why. I don't know that she knew, but they immediately started at that point, started the adoption process, which takes a long, you know, took a long time. And they they went through the state and they're, you know, I mean, to some degree, I get that they were thorough, which is great, but they were ready to get, you know, they wanted mm -hmm. to start their family. And I remember the stories about them, you know, saying that they had so many home visits and, you know, psychological assessments. And it's just, you know, we, Cor I always joke with Corey and say, you know, people can just pop out babies right and left. And my mom and dad were like great people. And they were, you know, struggling to make this happen and also worried about becoming too old. Mm -hmm. You know, they were because if mom was 30, dad was 31, you know, and their fear was that people would want to give babies to younger couples. So it it did take about six years to to finalize everything. And as tacky, I don't want to I'm so sorry, I don't want to interrupt you. Does that mean that they had been they had been actively trying to have babies for 10 years and then had to wait another six. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. Yeah. They were married for 17 years by the time they got me. And they tried, they were trying from the very beginning. Wow. Yeah. I mean, maybe not first yeah. year, but you know, they were kind of from, they weren't going to college, mm -hmm. you know, they were already in jobs. They just felt like they wanted to get going, you know, mm -hmm. right as probably older teenagers or maybe 20 years old, yeah, which was a lot more common, I think, back then. Well, and especially for the geography, <laughs> I yep. think. Yeah. Yep. And they already had friends that were having children mm -hmm. and which also kind of, I don't want to say made them feel alienated, but it's, it's weird, right? Because a lot of their friends' children are a lot older than I am. So mm -hmm. it was weird for them, I think, especially being in a small town where there weren't that many people to be friendly with to begin with, you know? Yeah. But, and you stop having things in common with people. Right, right. You don't get invited to the same parties and that sort of thing, but they were ecstatic. But, you know, I always laugh and say that I used to have all the photos. I don't know that I do now, but they actually got like a set of six photos of babies. And I was like, you, you literally chose me from, from, from the picture book. Like I was like, <laughs> you know what? And a really cute kid. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, my mother said that she couldn't really even look at it. She felt so guilty thinking that I'm choosing the baby based on right. know, how it looks, but it was a mix of boys and girls and my dad was the complete opposite he was like no this kid looks cute i think we should get this one you know what i mean like you know? and uh, not of the uh, the swiping generation right right and that's kind of how they got me was you know dad had said yep this one will do and because you know it's it was a different time and i don't know how it would work nowadays but they never met me until the day they got me the, i mean when i was handed to them which my mother loved because she said it made it feel really organic, you know, like a, if she had given birth, she wouldn't yeah. have seen the baby until the day that it came. So for her, that was the right way to have it happen. But uh, the story goes that I was born in Little Rock, Arkansas, and I lived for one month of my life in one orphanage in Arkadelphia. And then the second month in Texarkana and Texarkana is where my parents drove to get me. And they 
they did it up. I mean, they send out the little cards that say, we we have a new baby and they had enclosed photos and, you know, it was a big deal and their friends really helped them celebrate and it was obviously a long time coming for them. So it was fantastic. And That's beautiful. I think Julian and Kendall's mm-hmm. parents sent out a, a notification that said Christmas came early at the Scabos. Yeah, I was going <laughs> to say, July. sounds very, very familiar. They did the yeah. same thing, sent out the cutest photo and just were really yeah it sounds similar it sounds like they were just really really excited to meet you yeah it's really the mark and share with everyone are excited yeah Yeah. right right and so i only had my my father's father and my mother's mother were the two that were living by the time i was born but they weren't in good health and so my parents actually purposely chose godparents for me who were much more like grandparent age so mm-hmm. that if the worst happened and it did by the time i was two the those two existing grandparents were also gone wow. so it was great that I had the Tullys were their names. I called them Nanny and Papa Tully. And they were just like my grandparents. I knew they weren't, but, you know, they treated me that way and uh, celebrated everything with us. And it was it was a great way for my parents to, to do it. Yeah. Nanny and Papa Tully. Did you watch Game of Thrones? Yes. Yep. <laughs> Not the best reference, but, you know. Exactly. And I, I mean, Cat, Catelyn is a G and she yeah. is a Tully. She is a little bit insufferable at times, but ultimately, yeah, yeah. badass. But, yeah, these <laughs> so it sounds were, like these were like salt of the earth, yeah, you know, people. Really, yeah, really great. Were you an only child then? Yep, yep. And when I was four, my mother and dad seriously started talking about trying to adopt again. Now, what they had been told is because they'd already been through it once mm-hmm. that it wouldn't it wouldn't take six years because my mother didn't want there to be ten years between me and another child. But they they didn't. Which in retrospect probably worked out well because by the time I was six, I didn't know it at the time, of course, but my mother had been diagnosed as terminally ill. And so, of course, it was hard enough for my dad to be a single dad after she died when I was 10. And he thinks about, you know, he would always say to me, gosh, you know, I can't imagine if I had had another younger child on top of that. Not that people don't do it and not that he wouldn't have loved the child. I just it was hard enough for him when she died he uh, kind of fell apart he he was they had been married for 27 years and she was the love of his life and we didn't use the word codependent back then but that's totally (laughs) what he was i mean you know he was one of those people who he needed her in a strange in a strange way you know it's it's kind of incredible i was waiting to hear what your parents current marital status and stuff Mm. is because getting married so young and then i know that fertility issues puts a lot of strain on a marriage so having like them being married so young and then have 10 years of trying and then like six more years of going through the like harrowing adoption process like they Mm -hmm. must have had just a really really strong marriage and i think they grew up together you know those are like transformative Mm -hmm. years of your life so they became the people that they were going to become together well before we i'm so sorry to hear that about your mom yeah Yeah. Yeah. let's spend some more time with her Mm -hmm. before so Mm -hmm. what was it like growing up in northeast arkansas how were your early years it's funny that area it was and still is so 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 conservative and my parents weren't and so i always 
used to tease that. I mean, I picked up on that really early and their friends also seemed pretty moderate, if not liberal. And I would joke with them when I was like five years old. I'm like, why do we live here? Like, why? <laughs> like, like you guys don't seem to fit in. And it was one of those things like, well, this is just where we, this is where we're from. And mm -hmm. they didn't have a lot of family there, but they definitely put down roots. And my dad sort of wanted to stay there originally because both sets of parents were still living, you know, at the time that they bought their land, they built their home. And so for them, it was just kind of where they lived. It's a tough, you know, place to be, I think. I already thought, you know, when I was a small-ish child, I already thought I must be at least bisexual. Mm -hmm. And talk about what great parents I had. I was very open with them about that when I was like eight. There's a cute story. My One of my friends had an older brother that was in high school and my parents put in a pool and oh I my, already know where this is going <laughs> <laughs> and my and my dad was always away you know he was working I mean he was a workaholic and so I would work on the pool some but my mom thought it would be a good idea to hire this teenage guy um, as a pool boy and this is I an mean, era does it get any <laughs> more quintessential <laughs> <laughs> yep. And she was she was ill, but she enjoyed when his name was Mike and Mike would come over. And this is an era where people did wear Speedos. I mean, when they weren't in, you know, but Mike enjoyed, I think, the attention. And I remember my mother, my mother would be, I won't say glued to the window, but, you know, she was she was watching to be sure that Mike was doing it right. Right. And she, and I'd be sometimes standing beside her and she would say things like, oh, my God, he's cute, isn't he? And I would be like, yeah. He is. And, you know, and it, and I was like eight. And so she definitely picked up on the vibe and the vibe. Yeah. You know, I mean, and she they completely embraced it. And it's funny when people when I came out when I was 24, people from my hometown would say to me how embarrassed and ashamed my parents would be of me. And I'm like, well, kind of fuck you, because I know they wouldn't feel that way. You know what I mean? Like they, my parents weren't the type of people that would have said that to others. Okay. They're not going to go, oh, Kendall thinks the pool boy's cute. That's not what <laughs> they would say. But it's so interesting how people in sort of small town America like to imagine that they understand what mm -hmm. your family dynamic was like. Mm -hmm. I'm like, you don't know us and you don't know what we said in private. And my father, after my mother passed away, I mean, he was very pragmatic about it. He was like, Kendall being a gay and out in this town is probably not smart. Mm -hmm. And he was right. I never thought it was a possibility anyway, because, mm -hmm. you know, I was caught up in the religious side of that stuff, as well as the social implications. And I kind of never thought that I would ever say those words anyway, but he gave me some good, just be careful out there because yeah. he worried that people could be brutal. And I, I think they could have been. And even though people called me gay when I was in junior high for no good, mm -hmm. whatever, you know, it's, it's because I was smart and popular and boys had a hard time with that sometimes because the girls usually wanted to go out with me and not them. So it, just, yeah. <laughs> it, it is what it is. I, I have some resentment towards some of the people that would 
make these pronouncements that my parents about their feelings. And I'm like, well, they're not here to defend themselves, but I can tell you what our private conversations were. And then mm -hmm. I knew they were going to be supportive of me, whatever path I followed. And now that didn't keep me from, I have an ex-wife. We started dating the day before 10th grade. We got married between our freshman and sophomore years in college. Mm -hmm. oh, wow. Stupid. For, for Not because we didn't love each other, but because that's stupid. Um, <laughs> it, it's just... It was the week before I turned 19. I mean, come on. Yeah. And she and I could joke about it now. She is a great person. We've stayed close all these years. And we're both from that little tiny town. So she happens to be conservative. It's interesting because when we were together, I, I feel like she wasn't. But after we divorced and she found husband number two, I think I know he's conservative. Mm -hmm. So I feel mm -hmm. like the trajectory of her life went a completely different direction. But I just wanted to ask, how long was your mom sick for? She was diagnosed as terminal in 76 and she died in 80. And, okay. and we did the math after she passed away and she spent more time in hospitals than out during those four years. So it was it was very debilitating for her and sad. And then my father only lived till 87. So he had married my stepmother in between. So mm -hmm. I stayed with her. But by the time I was 17, I had buried both of them. And mm -hmm. he told me how much guilt my mother felt about not because she didn't want me, but because she felt so guilty that I was not going to have a mother because she yeah. knew she was going to die or there was a big, big chance. And so mm -hmm. I hate that. I hate that for mm -hmm. her that she had that feeling. And he he understood where she was coming from and tried as best as well as he could to kind of make up for that fact. Mm -hmm. You said before that they didn't use the word codependent back then, but they were very much intertwined. Do you think that her passing away had an effect on his then longevity. longevity. I do. It's funny when there, there's a story about when they were dating, he, as probably a lot of teenagers did, would drink way too much. And when they got married, even, you know, they partied uh, a little and she kind of told him, you don't handle your liquor very well at all. So this needs to stop. Mm -hmm. And she had that kind of control where she said, you're going to stop drinking or I will leave you. And he stopped drinking immediately. And from that moment until she became ill, he never had another. The story goes that he never had another drink. The bad part of that, I think, is that he didn't learn any moderation. Mm -hmm. And the instant that she died, the instant that she died, he dove into drinking and mm -hmm. he kind of caused his own demise by just he had cirrhosis of the liver by the time he died he died of a heart attack but i'm sure it was brought on by the mm -hmm. constant the constant drinking not long before he died i remember asking him i'm like so i hear you get up a lot during the night to use the restroom or whatever he said i said but how how long can you go overnight without a drink and he said it's down to about two hours now he literally would have to get up and drink to be able to go back to bed and sleep. It was the most um, yeah. sad thing to watch your parent go through. I wanted him to live. <laughs> I wanted him to get himself clean. He put himself into rehab like four times. I mean, it just, it was self-destruction to yeah. Kenny's point. Yeah. That's, I'm so sorry that you went through that. There's, I think that topic has come up a few times for us 
alcoholism in in a child's teenage years. What was it like to, I mean, you sort of just covered it, but what kind of effect do you think it had on you to lose your mother and then live with um, an alcoholic until he passed away? You know, I, I in general try to think of myself as an optimist and I can point to that time and say, yes, it was incredibly difficult, but I feel like A, it kind of helped me grow up quickly. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's a good or bad thing, but it, it definitely happened. And because I remember when so mom died when I was 10 and he, like I said, was just like still working. I mean, and he would come home and immediately start drinking and he started leaving his checkbook on the dining room table. And he would say, and he would literally just throw the bills down and he'd be like, can you take care of these? And he would, he would sign a whole set of checks. And I was the one writing the checks for the electricity and the mortgage and all of that stuff. And people, I guess the people at the bank figured out that why does it look like a 10 year old is writing these checks? But in general, I was keeping that house running. Mm -hmm. I remember him, he would be so drunk sometimes. And I'd be like, dad, you were supposed to take me to go get my new sneakers this afternoon. And I would call a cab and <laughs> take myself. I was just I was like that kid. I was like, Matilda around. <laughs> yeah, I was like that. Just have another drink. I'm, I'm going to go. And, you know, and my hometown was so small that I didn't, this was not a thing anymore, probably even there, but we had accounts at these little local stores oh, yeah. where I could just go to the store and say, charge my dad and mm -hmm. I could leave with the shoes. It was a thing, but I, what other 10 year old in my town was dealing with that kind of stuff? Not mm -hmm. many, mm -hmm. uh, or not that I knew of. Right. And I was so proud that I would never have asked anybody. Mm -hmm. And I also didn't want to disparage him so mm -hmm. I didn't, I didn't share that with anybody, Yeah, you know, I was embarrassed for him and mm -hmm. I knew he was embarrassed for himself and he would drive probably drunk. He would drive 25 miles from where we lived, passing other liquor stores to go further out because he didn't even want people to see him buying the liquor. Yeah. This is the level of self-hate he mm -hmm. had about the circumstance. It was so sad. It is so, so sad. And it still brings a tear to my eye to think that I tried as much as I could to help him, but there comes a point when it's it's it was his decision. And, and you were 10. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I know. And I was very, I mean, I've always been mature for my age, but man, I felt like I had to be, yeah, I yeah. would, I would literally, he'd be like half drunk and I'd be, I'd go into the den where he was, you know, sitting drinking and I'd be like, we need to talk, man. You know what I mean? I was like, yeah. you need to get your shit together. And, and he would just break down and bawling, crying. I'm such a shitty father and I can't <sighs> believe, you know, your mother would be so, and I'm like, yeah, she would. So mm -hmm. step it up. You know what yeah, I mean? Like I was trying that tough love thing. A horrible, it, vicious cycle, it sounds like. Yeah, it. I felt so. And then, you know, when he married my stepmother, who I warned, I was like, this is a hot mess over here. Are you sure you want to dive into this? And um, she and I both, though, have a savior complex. Mm -hmm. And she she's like, we can fix this. We and got this. Like, <laughs> yeah, I was like, no, nah, I don't know about that. But and and she never did. I have so much a respect for what she tried to do for him. But in some ways, there were times when I begged her to leave him. Mm -hmm. I was like, you're hurting yourself by staying in this messy situation. But she is one of those, nope, you get married for life. Mm -hmm. And and I was like, man, you're 
a better person than I am because I can't wait to graduate and get the hell out of here. But he, I mean, he died before I, before I did, but I, I had no intention of staying in that scenario. Mm-hmm. Well, it sounds like, it sounds like that you had a good relationship with your stepmom. Very good. She, she was, well, the interesting thing about my stepmother, um, I think is that I had always known her. That's my parents good. used to hang out with her and her first husband, the father of her daughters. <laughs> and it's, it was weird because she's, they were like 10 years younger than my parents, but they were friends and her first husband had died. And tragically, like of a, of a, with a heart attack, very young, and she remarried and her second husband died the same year as my mom. Oh my God. Yeah. And I will say I knew both her husbands, right? I had, they were family friends. So we would hang out with them both. And I do feel like Joyce and my dad, I don't think they were ever really like in love. I think they were commiserating. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, she would call him and he would call her because they both just lost their spouses and they were already friends because people, again, my lovely hometown, when they started (laughs) dating, people would say things like, oh, do you think something was going on while I'm like, really assholes? No, that is not the way this went down. They were friends. Give them a break. Tell them uh, your nickname for your stepmom. Oh, Shorty? (laughs) (laughs) Related to her, her marriages. Oh yeah, we call her the Black Widow because uh, yeah. <laughs> because because my dad was her third dead husband. I was, gonna, I was gonna. Oh my gosh, I was gonna say Ricky sort of has this complex because she's essentially had two fathers pass away, and it's a very big fear of hers that losing people is, is a really big fear of hers, and she feels like a she has something to do with it. Yeah, yeah. it sounds yeah. like. Well, I'm glad you can at least make light of that. I think that makes she, it easier. <laughs> she did too. We, I mean, yeah. I because. I, she lost my dad right before she turned 44. That was her third dead husband by 44. Oh and I remember the being going to start looking. At I know. And, and I remember I was in college and I remember one time I called her and I was like, so you, she's never dated since the day yeah. he died. And I would joke with her and be like, so you got in, you know, why don't you go find somebody? She's like, honey, when you have three wedding rings and three death certificates, nobody's knocking. And I was like, okay, good that point. That is you know. so <laughs> morbidly <laughs> funny. She's yeah. bad luck Chuck. Yeah. <laughs> well, Joy sounds like a badass and I love her already. Yeah. So, so before we, so you witnessed both of your parents pass away mm-hmm. at super crucial ages. My dad passed away when I was 10 and every therapist on earth who deals in child trauma says whatever was going on when you were 10 years old is usually the most formative experience in, of your life. Mm-hmm. Do you remember your final moments with your mom or do you remember ever being really introspective about the situation? And Yeah, well, I wish in retro, and I used to say this to my dad, maybe even when he was drunk, probably not the best idea, but I would say to him, you know, gosh, I wish that I had really grasped that her last days were her last days Mm -hmm. because he sheltered me so much from what was going on that I didn't know that in the last few weeks of her life in the hospital, she had coded a few times. They brought her back. It was imminent, right? And so that made me a little resentful. Like you, you kind of could should have seen it real that it was about to happen because he let my last time with her just feel like a normal visit. And then and then school was starting. So she died on August 21st. It was the first day of fifth grade for me. And I'll never forget, I was staying 
with our family friends who had a kid that was exactly my age, really good friend of mine. And th that's where I was staying. And we had gone off to school that day. And back then, fifth grade in my school, that was the first day that you changed classes for every period. And I was so excited. Like I couldn't, I rushed to their house after school and I wanted to give my mom a call and tell, that was so cool. I got a locker and just to talk her, to her about it. And the, the parents of my friend had already gotten the call that she had passed. And I remember saying, I want to call my mom. And they were like, you know, Kendall, your dad is on his way right now. And I immediately was worried. Mm -hmm. And our minister is who was driving my father. And because he had been there at the hospital when she died. And, and it was in Memphis. So that was about an hour's drive. And the minister had driven dad to the Briley's house. And I came running out the door. And then I saw the minister's car. And I was like, oh, this isn't good. And I have only passed out a couple of times in my life. And my dad told me on the driveway that, you know, your mother died. And I just, I fainted. I, I, it didn't feel real to me. I, I think she had been sick for so long that being sick was normal. But I never, you know, like in the back of your mind, you're 10. It's your first first day of fifth grade. You don't think that your mother's going to die. Yeah. It was it was tragic. And I knew she loved me so much and I adored her. She was such a great woman. You know, many, many people thought so. I'm so, and I want to give you a, give you a second. And I, I think I speak for all of us when I say we, we try to come into these interviews as blind as we can so that we're not leading the discussion or jumping to conclusions and are, we're, are being authentic. And we had no idea how much we share in common with you and like on both sides of the fence. And I'm so sorry. And thank you so much for sharing. And we completely feel for you because we know how hard that is. And especially when that person is kind of larger than life and yep. everybody loves them and absolutely heartbreaking. And again, like Ricky said, at one of like the most important times of your life. So yeah. and I'm what you were, when you were talking about the pool boy, <laughs> Because the first thing I thought when when you had said that you thought you were bisexual at a young age and all that, I think um, I was like, oh my gosh, his 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 mom passed away so young. I wonder if he ever got to like share any of that with her or share any of those moments with her. And it makes me so, so happy that you guys were able to have a few yep. of those little moments and where she saw you and and for who you who you are and and loved you for that. So um, thank and, you for sharing, Kendall. I'm so yeah. sorry. Yeah, thank you. I mean, one thing I guess I could have said about that is that she, I remember when she kind of had that realization like, oh, Kendall might not just be straight. And she, she said to me, I, I remember her taking me away from, you know, again, we're both glued to the window looking at cute Mike. And she like takes me to the den and she's like, Kendall, I want you to know you can be whoever you are. Just yeah. embrace it and just be a good person. And so when people try to judge me in my hometown, I, I get my back up. I'm like, yeah. you know what? If those two people who cared so much about me could accept me for who I was, then that's all I needed. Yeah, gave you a lot of strength. Mm -hmm. And I think it's fair to say it's not even accepting you for who you were. It was mm -hmm. championing who right. you were. Right. Big fans, mm -hmm. which is incredible. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering if that is a common theme or trope of 
the people who adopt children mm. because they had to try so hard to have them that mm -hmm. everything is on the table. It doesn't matter. You can yep. be whoever you are. We wanted you badly. Right. And, I and they, so. they, they were, they treated me so well and they were so proud of me. My dad could be very demonstrative about schoolwork. When I first got my first set of all A's in eighth grade, he's like, let's, let's keep this going. You can do this. And I wish so much that he had been alive to see me be the valedictorian. That would have meant so much to him and to my mother because they both, even though they weren't educated, they were very, very focused on my education, that they, they knew that that was super important and it was the way out of that town for me. Ricky, are you feeling like you have a loss in common with <laughs> Mr. Kendall here? <laughs> yes, yeah. of course. It, yeah. It, yeah, I mean, we all know every single person in this room knows how defining it is to have a parent who is sick for so long. Mm -hmm. And we've been doing interviews and I've been having to dig more into that. And you are saying it very simply as it happened. And I don't know how much any of us have taken the time to look back on that and say that was very unusual. And to, to tend to that little boy and the, those little mm -hmm. girls who are not living in a household where dad is out or mom is out throwing a baseball around with you. It's mm -hmm. they are in the hospital. Mm -hmm. And you are spending a significant amount of time there and you are having a hard time relating to any of the other 10 year olds and what they're going through and especially having a parent dealing with substance abuse. And it just seems like we're all the same yeah. <laughs> at yeah. the end of the day. You know, I, I think about my mother spent 10 months in Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, and I went up and spent like almost the entire summer there just to be, you know, be near her that summer. You know, the, these are things that I wouldn't trade uh, to your point, but at the same time, it was very unusual, you know, really the, yeah. Yeah. Let me just for a quick second, and I hope this is the, the same situation um, for you, Ricky, Jules and Kenny, but, you know, I never got, obviously got to meet Kendall's parents, adoptive parents, but he talks about them with such reverence all the time that I feel like I kind of do know them mm -hmm. and just like little things like, you know, cause I like to cook and he's like, Oh, you know, Ruble would do this. And have you thought about trying this or maybe put this and that. And so it's like, we, you know, very rarely is it the, the negative stuff that comes up. It's, it's almost always the positive stuff. And so right. even though, you know, they were only in his life for a short period of time, huge impact on mm -hmm. who he is for sure. Yeah. That's be That's so beautiful. And I think, we all feel the same way. We, it's it's good to be able to look back with such fondness, um, mm -hmm. and I think that's a make. Corey, you're obviously. I mean, we'll we'll get to talk to you more, but to be able to support him through that, and I love that you feel like you got to know them too, because I know that that's that is also really hard to know that your parents. Oh my God, I'm just going to cry so <laughs> that they didn't get to meet like the love of your life or, and that's, that's so, oh, that's so hard. And so I, I, um, I'm sure that, um, Kendall, you take a lot of comfort in that and knowing that, that Corey feels that way and that he's, you guys are a support system for each other is really, really beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, thank you. <laughs> We're all a mess over here. <laughs> And I'm glad to, again, have gotten to spend time with them. And I, I really can't imagine how painful it was for you and for your father to, I mean, you said he's so embarrassed and not all alcoholics have that present mm -hmm. presence of mind. And I'm sure that he was 
seeing himself through your mother's eyes in those moments. And Joy is just such a trooper. So thank you for telling us about them. Mm -hmm. And so you're growing up, your mom dies when you're 10, your dad dies when you're 17? 16, right? Yeah. 16. At, mm -hmm, at the end of my junior year. Mm -hmm. And I know you meet your soon-to-be wife soon thereafter. So can you kind of take us through what does one a person do when they're 16 and orphan? I mean, I guess you had your stepmom, Joy. I did. So I did. did. You just totally take the reins at that point? Yep. Yep. So okay. when when she married dad, they she and my stepsister, Darla, who's exactly my age, they moved into our house. And so that was my family home. So that was nice because even when it felt different after my mother died, but at least we were still in the same home that she and dad had built together. And so when dad died, we already, you know, we already lived there. Joyce, it's funny. I, I've told this story on our podcast, but my mom's sister, my aunt Pat, that I was so close to, she lived in my hometown and legally, I was supposed to have to move in with Aunt Pat and Uncle Don when my mother died. I mean, when my dad died, because that's the way that my parents' wills were written, right? And Joyce had never adopted me. You know, she was my stepmother. And I remember Aunt Pat calling me not long after my dad had died saying, well, you know, you're supposed to come live with us. And I was like, I literally have one more year at the same school. Like, you know what I mean? Like I've gone to this school my entire life. I'm about to be a senior. There's no Valedictorian. way. <laughs> exactly. I was like, there's no way I'm moving. And, and, you know, I would have had to switch schools if I had gone to their house because of where they live. And that was a much less attractive school to begin with. So, it, you know, I was like, that ain't going to happen. And she and I actually had some moments. I mean, because she was like, you know, I could take this to court. And I'm like, if you want to piss me off for the rest of my life and the rest of yours, go for it. Because this is not happening. And, you know, and I said, I'm staying with Joyce. And she's a good, she's a good parent to me. And she's always treated me like her own. And mm -hmm. so Aunt Pat finally pumped the brakes. And because I had no intention of leaving, I was like, how stupid would that have been for one more year? I would have, I would have loved to be a fly on the wall for some of those conversations because it's speaks to how grown up that you had yes. that you had to become at such a young age so to be able to put your foot down mm -hmm. to an authority figure mm -hmm. and yeah it's just very like fierce and I, badass <laughs> and i do think that for good or bad that's what yeah. i got out of this whole scenario yeah. honestly i i kind of came out of high school with this fierce mentality like yeah. i can do whatever i want and step aside you know what i mean like yeah. it was it was very much like that and which I mean, kind of is a good thing. You know, it's just, it's interesting. It's it's an incredible, there is, it could have gone very differently, right? There, right. there are people that would have affected <laughs> in a different way <laughs> well, that would have kind of spiraled maybe. Well, well I, I mean, it's funny because the, the only negative I can say about that is that I, I have had friends that are blatantly honest and said that I kind of came off as an asshole during some of that period because I was so headstrong yeah. and because I had taken care of business and I wasn't taking anybody's crap. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I can kind of see that. I think back about my, my interactions with some people and I'm like, yeah, I probably 
probably to come off as really forceful and yeah. really my way or the highway type thing, you know? Yeah, and- I don't know that anything <laughs> about that. That makes me curious. So, so where we were where we were headed, that makes me curious because it seems like it might be at odds with something else that you were going through. So you were well, it depends. I know what you're about. So are you you're you married a woman, right? Mm-hmm. And we you said that you at a young age knew that you were at least bisexual. Mm-hmm. Are you bisexual or gay? And how did that inform your relationship with this woman? Yeah, my parents were the only people aside from like one friend, one high school friend that I would ever have meant, you know, said that to. So was it unfair to my ex-wife who was my girlfriend at the time? Probably. But I don't, I, I thought that I thought I was bi and I thought I could be with this woman forever. And that was my intention when we got married. And, but it's interesting in retrospect, she and I have said to each other that it automatically felt weird. Like it, it felt strange. Like feels like I married my sister. You know what I mean? Like it was just that kind of weird. I don't think this is the way it's supposed to be, but you know, we were good. We were going to give it a good try, you know? So five years later, you know, we're, we're separating and that was grueling. She was in love with me. I was in love with her as much as I could be at that age, I guess. And uh, it was devastating for both of us. And we'd spent nine years of our lives together, four years dating and five years married. And for where we were in in our lives, that was a long time, you know? Yeah. A good fraction. Yep. And it was horrible. I, I would never want to put anybody through that again emotionally it was just grueling and then you know i'm so happy that she and i have remained friends after all of that because it says a lot about her i think Mm -hmm. a lot of people have been like thank you very much have a nice life don't ever contact me again Does she remind you? I'm and I'm totally, totally making an assumption here. This might not be true. Does she remind you of Joyce at all? She reminds me a little of Joyce, but more of my mother. Your mom. Yeah. Because I, I think too, you had seen a marriage that you said that reminded you more of a friendship. Oh, with, with your, Joyce. Yeah. With your dad and Joyce. So I'm, yeah. you know, I, I'm wondering if there were any similarities and maybe mm. sock found comfort in that your marriage with your with your ex because you had seen a seen a marriage that seemed like more like a friendship. I mean, that's not what I wanted and it's yeah. not what she wanted for sure and uh, but you know, we were we were going to college full time, we were working full time jobs on top of it. Like in some ways, we used to joke and say how did we stay married anyway? You know what I mean? Like how Regardless, did that even happen? Yeah. Right. Like how did that even happen? But she is very headstrong too, mm-hmm. like this and everything's going to be fine. And, you know, and for the most part, I mean, we did, she graduated. So we both graduated from the same department and she got the, we both got sociology degrees when we got our bachelor's and she graduated top of the class and I was second to her. So we definitely, and then they got divorced. (laughs) I'll show you, but no, um, no, I mean, it's, and it's not that we were competitive at all. We just were both really good students. She yeah. was salutatorian in high school when I was valedictorian. Oh my gosh. So, it's an age old rivalry. Yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> we were that sickening couple in high school. Like we were prom king and queen. Yep. Oh yeah. We were that <laughs> gross, but whatever, you know, it I was fun and great. And I wouldn't change anything about it, but we both kind of laugh about how pretentious all that seems now. I am obsessed with it. I love it. Okay. So you, 
And I know it seems like it's probably a little bit painful, but can you tell us about how this came, this marriage came to an end and how, like, how was this brought up? How, what yep. happened? Well, like I said, we were together married for five years and it really, honestly, it took us like three years in for us to kind of ever even say like, is everything all right? And we went to therapy and we tried so hard. And I remember going, so we went to therapy together and then we went separately. And I remember having having the, the private conversation with a therapist. And she said to me, she's like, Kendall, I don't think you're bi. I think you need to dive into the gay pool. And I, you know, I mean, she, she was and I didn't want to hear that. I mean, that devastated me. I'm like, I can't mess up her life. Like yeah. this isn't, this isn't the plan that that's, that's not going to work for me. And I mean, I was without being graphic. I mean, I tried all kinds of things to try to cure myself. I just, I didn't want it to be true. And, and not because I thought there, at that point in my life, it's like I had gay friends and it wasn't like, I thought there was anything wrong with it. It was just, I'm like, hey, that can't be me. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm with my wife. That would be crazy. But you know, finally she and I probably four years in were like, what are we fighting for? And I mean, not that we still, we still didn't, I had even moved into our spare bedroom before I even moved out. Like we were trying to still, at that point, I feel like it was just a facade that we were trying to keep. Well, everybody thinks we're a couple, so we're going to be a couple, but it wasn't healthy. Mm -hmm. And she would agree with that now, you know, at the time it was, it was brutal. It yeah. was, it was so hard. And again, um, while she and I were, had moved away and gone to grad school in Illinois, meanwhile, Joyce and her parents are still having dinner together. You know what I mean? Because our, yeah. they're friends. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't tell you this part of the cool story. My mother was an HR person like I am. And she hired, the way she met my stepmother was that she hired her into the company. Oh. And then she hired my ex-wife's mother into the company. <laughs> oh my gosh. So there is a photo of my stepsister Darla, my ex-wife, and me as infants in the same picture. Can because we, um, can we have yeah, that picture? We want yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I have to I have to ask permission. But yeah, yeah. it's just, but it that's how small town. Wow. You know what I mean? We were. Yeah. And so how incredibly awkward for me to call Joyce and say, remember, you know, I mean, she and I had never really had the same level of conversations that I have right. with my mom and dad. Right. But I was like, I, yeah, I'm probably gay and and I are going to split up. And I mean, Joyce has never, she's always been supportive of me. She was not at that moment. She was like, this is wrong. Not from a, you know, right, you're gay, right, right. that's wrong. Yeah. It just, you can't do that. You can't mm -hmm. break up your marriage. You can't treat her like I'm purposely not saying my ex-wife's name. You can't treat her that way after nine years. You know what I mean? It was a it was yeah. a respect thing for her. Well, and, and you had mentioned that, you know, you had begged her to leave your dad and she was the she's the yep. marriage. Stick is, with it. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. So Oh, she yeah. and you're right, because she said you took those vows mm -hmm. and I'm like, oh. Yes. So now she and I should just live the rest of our lives. Right. Not as pleased as we should be just because yeah. we yeah. said that in church. Like, no, that's not happening. It's such an interesting story that I don't think is told very often. And that's why I jumped in to cut Julianne off to make sure that we address that you had initially thought you were bisexual because I didn't know if, how big of a factor that would play into this. And it's honestly really refreshing to hear, you know, uh, in Schitt's Creek, 
There are lots of gay characters and it's homophobia doesn't exist in Schitt's Creek. Like that's never a thing. And the audience found that really refreshing. So Mm -hmm. to hear from you that it had nothing to do, you didn't marry a woman as a facade or because you were trying to stifle yourself. You really just thought Mm -hmm. that you were bisexual and and then it ended up that you weren't. But it's really nice to hear a perspective where it wasn't, I was living a fake life. No, no. It was just a journey of self-discovery and everyone, the reason that they weren't necessarily supportive of the divorce had nothing to do with your sexual identity and everything to do with the commitment that you made to another person. Right. I think is really interesting. Yep. And I have to admit, I I have run into my ex-father-in-law a few times in my hometown since could not have been more polite could not have you know what i'm saying like just they're just good people like that whole family has treated me with more respect than i ever expected quite honestly because you know that was your ex-wife's current husband i did so when Corey and i were living in san francisco Gosh, this was probably 2015, I'm thinking. My ex my ex-wife called me and said, "Hey, my husband and I and the kids are coming to uh, San Francisco and she wanted to see me, which I thought yeah. was great." So, I met them for lunch. Um they actually we had lunch really near my office. It was just great and it was the only time I've physically, you know, met them, but it was it was it was great. And it felt very natural. It wasn't that weird. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's always going to be sort of awkward. Like, oh, I'm husband number one. You're husband number two. Good, <laughs> good for us, you know. But, but, but apart from that, her husband was just really great, and, and it was wonderful to meet her, their son together. You know what I mean? It's yeah. just, yeah, it was really great. I have, I have a couple. Qu- well, I have an observation and a question. It kind of seems like your parents were able to cultivate like a really kind of cool group of people in your tiny, tiny little town. So I think that's very cool that they were able to like surround you with some really great people. I also am wondering, so with your ex-wife, you guys were still living in this small town? We went to college one year at the Mm -hmm. community college, and then we moved to Arkansas State University. Mm -hmm. That's where we graduated. And then we moved together to grad school in Illinois. And that's after the first year of grad school is when we separated. Oh, okay. Yep. It seems like you kind of wanted to get out of the small town kind of a vibe. Maybe she didn't as much. And maybe that also kind of affected your your marriage too. Because I know... It would feel stuck a little bit. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And ironically, after she finished grad school, after we divorced, her second husband lives in a smaller town than <laughs> she and I are even from. So it's just comical to me because I'm like, she calls herself the, what does she call herself? The Zsa, Zsa Gabor of her little town because because <laughs> oh, he's a her husband's a farmer and I remember the first time that she called and and I'm I'm not talking about crops I'm talking about like animals and she's mm-hmm. like can you imagine that I've learned how to slop a hog and I'm like I don't even know what that means and I don't want to know I was, like, I was like I was like good for you girl did you break a nail I was like what you know it has multiple meanings but yeah yeah no. yeah, yeah. It, it was just comical and and in some ways I, I find it bizarre like she 
super, super smart woman and successful uh, in her career. But I never sort of imagined this as her path. She's very, very happy. So, you know, good for her. Right. But Corey would kick me if I said we're going to go live in that little town. Like, really? That size? No. (laughs) Okay. So I want to know which part of the story comes next is obviously we want you to hear. We want to hear about you meeting Corey. But which part? Because we we haven't gotten to we're getting up to the family twister or what we want to learn about for our second half here. So I want to hear about those two things. Tell us about meeting Corey and and what you found out. Yep. Okay. We have to fast forward 10 years. This is true. So, <laughs> so I, Oh my God, I bet the middle 10 years are juicy. That, that talk about some more hot mess moments, oh yeah, which have nothing to do with my father. Um, I met. So after and I divorced, I jumped into a relationship with kind of one of the first guys that was interested in me. Right. And, um, I should have left during that first week, but again, I'm a, I can fix things. So I gave it four good years, no, four bad years, and that did not end well. And when I left, when I broke up with him, I moved from the area where I went to grad school in Illinois, I moved to St. Louis. And it wasn't just to get away from him. That was the that was a plus, uh, but it was it was for for work. So hiding, you're like you're hiding from. It. Yeah, yeah. Um, if it's okay, because I was wondering if there was any of that kind of component here. Do you, do you feel comfortable sharing anything about what why that why you say that relationship was yes. a hot mess? Yeah, and and I hate that he is not here to defend himself. He 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 died um, in a tragic accident a few years ago. But um, I'm sorry, he's doing that. You and Ricky are like the same person. <laughs> You guys, you guys are like each other in a former life. <laughs> All right. Sorry. I'm, t- I'm yeah. so sorry. We, shouldn't, we should not be laughing about that. It's just, no, you. Yes. I hear okay. you. well, he couldn't deny the things that, you know, I would say because he, I have never, you know, even when my dad was in at the height of his alcoholism, he never was like physically abusive to anybody. And I'd never been around that. And my ex, the man, he, he became and I don't mean like he didn't beat me, but he did hit me. And the third time he hit me in the four years, I said, that's it. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it was, I'll never forget. It was Thanksgiving day, 1997. And he hit me and I said, we were supposed to be driving down to see Joyce, my stepmother. We were going to go hang out with her for the day and the family, her family. And I left and I went down there and still and then actually I took a few days off work and kind of stayed with her for a while because I was so distraught and as embarrassed as I was to say, tell her I'm ending this relationship, you know, which she already politely had told me she thought was a bad idea. And she was right. I, I was mortified. And again, I, I wanted it to work right. I, uh, we, he and I, this is before anything was legal. We'd had a commitment ceremony where I think there were like a hundred people that, you know what I mean? Like it was a big, it was a big deal. And we, we were committed and that, that did not end well. And Corey's right. After I moved to St. Louis, he was kind of stalking me. He, I, I had moved to St. Louis target had recruited me to come work at store manager level at at the store level. And I remember I would see his 
I, I don't know how I, I tried to not, I tried to tell all of my f mutual friends with him, don't tell him where I'm working. And, and the target uh, there at the time, I think there were 26 target stores in St. Louis, like the St. Louis metro area. So it wouldn't have been easy for him to figure out which store I was working at, but he, I would see his, he had a very unique vehicle and I would see it in the parking lot. And I remember telling the women, the, the women that worked for me directly, I said, if you ever see this car outside, please let me know. And one night, one of the women that worked for me came in and said, Kendall, I think that car is out there. And sure enough, that night, all four of my tires had been uh, sliced uh, when I got, when I went out to leave. And I was worried that I was going to have to get a restraining order against him yeah. at some point. But thankfully, he moved down to Memphis. And I think he finally, like, got it that we weren't going to be together. Well, and the crazy thing is, that's not even the ex that I found mugshots of. There's a <laughs> that's true. That's true. Yeah, that, that person never went to jail. But my my second uh, ex, uh, yeah, did go to jail. Fun, fun times, fun times. Not, not while we, we were together, not, yeah. not while we were together. So I moved to St. Louis. <laughs> and well, and I have a question about that. So yes, we are the same person. I yeah. don't, I don't know if you listened, but my ex-boyfriend was abusive occasionally, physically, mostly emotionally and mentally. Yeah. And, and he did end up dying by suicide. So that's mm. why I was exasperatedly <laughs> listening to you. Yeah. But in entering that relationship, I am so curious, even though it did turn out poorly, were you able to say like, oh, this feels right. This for feels sure. Yeah. For sure. I, I, I was 24 when we met. I felt like I was finally sort of an adult. I felt really like this is going to work. And, um, and it did feel right. And, and we were accepted as a couple really in that, you know, that town and, and that felt good. You know, I needed that sort of that validation, I think coming out of the, the whole thought that, you know, I needed to almost do that for myself because I had just ended this nine year relationship, you know, with my ex-wife and you grab onto things sometimes. Right. And I think that's what I was doing to some degree, but it did feel, it felt very uh, right. Except that to your point, Ricky, this guy, I mean, within the first few weeks, I saw glimpses of the emotional um, way he would treat me. I mean, it was just, uh, you know, and he could also pull my heartstrings just mm -hmm. right. He yeah. knew how to play me and took money from me. You know what I mean? Like they're just. Uh, and it's such um, a confusing like experience when you're someone who is so intelligent and so strong-willed to be, to find yourself in a situation like that and be like, what, how is this happening to I me? Know. How, yeah. Yep. I remember it because when people, a couple of people would meet him and be like, is everything all right? Mm -hmm. Because he was so, I'm demonstrative, but he was so demonstrative too. And you know, people would pick up on that. Like, how does that work? Cause he seems like he could be somebody that would be difficult if you challenge mm -hmm. him, you know, and people picked up on it and I should have run, you know, I should have made a beeline for the door, but did, I didn't. Did you feel like he, and what, what people would see, did you feel like he dimmed your light at all? Yep. Yeah, for sure. For sure. He trivialized mm -hmm. things that I was proud of. 
he <laughs> where other people would you know be happy for me you know like oh you you got a promotion you know like oh well i think it should be better than that you know what i mean like yeah. every it's like well mm -hmm. what are you doing you know what i mean like <laughs> what the hell you know yeah. here can i give you some more money you know what i mean it's like just it was irrational right. and again i'd never really dealt with it so it was very new to me i was mm -hmm. like I've never been with a crazy person, you know, and, <laughs> and this is new and, and, you know, again, savior complex, I can fix this. Yeah. I can fix him. But then, you know, there was an outward part of him where people would meet other people would meet him like, Oh my gosh, he's so charismatic. He's so great. And, you know, you just suck that up and like, Oh yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it must be great. <laughs> Sounds a pretty textbook. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Well, Thank you for sharing that with us, A, because it's just difficult and it's it's unfortunate to hear that that was your first like relationship where you were living in your truth and that's how it went. Mm -hmm. But I do think it's really important. I don't know um, if you've read In the Dream House by mm -hmm. Carmen Mikado, I think, but uh, mm -hmm. it's about a, a pair of um, women who are in a relationship and gets into how prevalent abuses in same-sex relationships and mm. it's just not something that people ever talk about at mm. all for some reason so to just bring that to light i think is really important and mm. i can't really imagine the confusion when it's two men and you're mm -hmm. in love and it's coming to physical altercations because it's that's so much different from being a woman and being in an right. altercation with a man you're both so strong i don't right. i can't imagine how difficult it is to de-escalate something like that yep. I would well, imagine that's why it's hardly ever talked about because mm -hmm. I think between a, a man and a woman, there's a certain like power structure kind of illusion, I guess. Mm -hmm. And when it's same sex, whether it be woman and woman or man and man, or there's not that kind of illusion of the, the structure. Mm -hmm. Well, and people might just think that it's acceptable. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like right. if you're, you're, if you get in a bar fight with another guy, whatever it is, and if two girls are fighting, it's a cat fight. So mm -hmm. they think mm -hmm. that it's okay for some reason, which obviously it's right. Never is. And for me, it was a pride thing again. Mm -hmm. Like I was so proud that I was like, I couldn't admit that I would mm -hmm. be with somebody that would treat me that way. I just yeah. couldn't. I was, you know, I wanted this to work, you know, I wanted, I'm like, you know, if I'm going to be with this person for that long, you know, I really, really tried uh, to make it work. And, but I, but I, with that third time, I was like, I'm not your punching bag. And this is mm -hmm. not, I'm not happy anymore mm -hmm. thinking yeah. that I have to worry about what your next reaction is going to be. You know, mm -hmm. just sadly, I, I use the word insane. I, I probably shouldn't, but I mean, it felt like that. If it, it was very bizarre and there, I was very, physically frightened after you know after i moved mm -hmm. you know i was like if he's coming he was driving an hour and a half to slice to slash my tires this wasn't around the corner from his house this man was focused on me getting me back well i don't know what your allure is that's probably not the, <laughs> the way to do it not gonna, yeah well i'm so sorry you went through that thank you for sharing with us mm -hmm. again those 10 years in between i'm sure that there was a whole lot of <laughs> self-discovery going on yep. and everyone has heard what that looked like for us so yep. it's uh again more of the same but yeah fast forward to either to what you feel is the next best um, yeah definitely it's it's meeting Corey. um so i started singing in the gateway men's chorus which is a gay men's chorus in st louis 
And one of our mutual friends, Jerry, was also in the chorus. And Jerry would occasionally do community theater. And we, a bunch of guys uh, from the chorus, went to see this play that Jerry was in. And it was uh, Sorted Lives, which um, we're huge fans of the playwright. And uh, we actually are going to have him on our podcast soon. So I go to the play and with this group of guys. And it happened to be the very last night of the of the play. And uh, so the cast party, um, Corey was in the play with Jerry. And so the funny the funny thing is when Corey and I met at the cast party, one of the guys um, who is a who is a gay Catholic priest. I don't know how that works. But anyway, he was completely drunk and hanging all over me. And Corey thought that we were together there. And I was like, could you go away? So I'm trying to talk to this guy. And so we kind of got separated at the cast party. And then the next time I saw Jerry at a choir rehearsal, I was like, Hey, I was talking to Corey um, at the cast party and I was really going to give him my phone number or, you know, but we got separated and, you know, drunk, you know, asshole was hanging all over me. So I'm, I'm not surprised he didn't run. So uh, I said, Hey, just, you know, give him my number. Maybe he'd be interested. And then Corey, you can tell, and then you saw Jerry too, right? Well, yeah. I just, I happened to be living like three doors down from Jerry. And so, yeah, same deal. I'm like, yeah, you know, it's weird, but I had this, this, you know, connection with this guy, Kendall. And do you know what his situation is? And Jerry was just being very coy, like, no, I don't, but I'll, I'll look into it. I'm like, and Jerry knew. Oh, he knew. Yeah. <laughs> he knew I was single. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so ironically, we were both trying to get our numbers to the other one. And finally, Jerry did make the connection. And uh, the rest is history. Like we. Did Jerry have a crush on one of you? Why was he trying I, to speak? I don't know. I don't know. It was kind of weird. Let us I'm... know, Jerry. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, Jerry is from Arkansas and has since moved back to Arkansas. So there's another Arkansas connection. Anyway, so yeah, so I called Corey when I when I finally got his number. We hit it off immediately. We had the longest first date I think you could ever. It was like eight hours or something. It was crazy. And uh, the rest is history. We've we've been. Uh, I always joke with him and said that he can never forget our first date because it was um, zero zero three zero four zero five. So we started dating on March fourth, two thousand five, and uh, yeah, love that. I love that. Yeah. I just want to tell people that I'm looking at these two handsome men, and they keep throwing <laughs> dates out here, and I have no idea how old you guys are, but you have to look. You guys look amazing. <laughs> Good answer. Good answer. If you have spackle, you can put yourself together. This No, I, I turned 53 um, a week ago, and Corey's about to turn 48. Yeah, you guys wow. look yeah. incredible. So you've been together Damn. for 18 years. 18 years. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
How often, and I know that we already on your podcast told you that you look like Paul Rudd, but (laughs) how often, Kendall, do you hear that you look like the guy? Hold on. (laughs) How did you not say this? She was looking this up earlier. uh, Corey Stoll. Oh. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have gotten that a couple of times. It's uncanny. (laughs) Uncanny. When he's not, yeah, when he's not wearing a a wig for a role or whatever. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Okay, well... It's been so amazing hearing about yeah. how you met Corey. That is burned in my mind now of 30405. I'll have to, we'll, we'll have to wish you guys a happy anniversary. <laughs> but I think it's probably best if we actually leave the audience with a little wonderment and talk about your adoption story and all of the discoveries that you've made about your adoptive or your biological family next time. Cool. Yeah, for sure. Amazing. Well, thank you both so much for coming on. Again, we just had no idea how much we truly had in common because you guys didn't do like a whole season about your story like (laughs) we did because no one else is that megalomaniacal. Oh, no, Uh, we will. We're going to pepper those things back in. (laughs) (laughs) So we're just so grateful to you and how open you've been. And we just so respect and admire how you show up and how you live your life. Thank you. And I want to say for all of us, I think you two are both such a like peaceful, Mm -hmm. calming presence. We always love talking to you. So we cannot, we can't wait to to draw this out into the two harder. Yes. All right. And after we talked with you guys on your podcast, I was just so excited. I was I was just like, I cannot wait until we get to hear their (laughs) story. And you did not disappoint. So thank you guys so much. Thank you so much. We'll see you you. next time. You guys are lovely, lovely. See you next time. All right. What beautiful souls. I love them. I adore them. I really love the way that Corey shows up for Kendall. Mm-hmm. He's obviously not a big part of the episode because it's Kendall's overall story to tell. But A, I mean, just him being there and B, all of the things that he's done for Kendall and the way that he supports him through his journey is so beautiful. Uh, but what I most enjoyed about talking to Kendall was that he shares the same sentiment and affinity for his adoptive parents as you guys do for yours and as I do for them I think it really highlights that the situation doesn't always have to be a deeply long-lasting traumatic situation and just even the grace that he showed his father after his father kind of fell apart um, and was suffering for alcoholism I feel like he really could have reflected on that any which way and chose to do so with total empathy and positivity and I just think that they are Solid as a couple of rocks. Ricky making me cry. Not you making me cry (laughs) in our own outro. They were, oh my God, such a pleasure. Did not have better things to be, (laughs) to say about both of them. And I did. I think it, uh, the thing that touched me the most in the episode was Kendall recounting that conversation that he had with his mom at such a young age and being so comfortable to let his mom know kind of where his preferences were going at eight. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I've ever heard that in my life. And just that, I think exactly what you said speaks to the relationship that he had with both of his parents and 
I just think it's so it, uncommon for the time, uncommon for the area, uncommon for the demographic, and just touched me how how ready and willing he was to be open with his parents. And on top of that, um, his mom also kind of reciprocating that conversation and being okay with having that conversation with her eight-year-old son and just kind of knowing and accepting who he was to the point where he didn't even really feel like he had to ever have that conversation with his parents, which I think is how it should be, honestly. Like, why do they have to have that conversation? Yeah, we'll get to to a point where coming out isn't a thing anymore. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed, man, but... I think what struck me was the similarities that I have with Kendall and just our overall feelings about parents. And I don't know if you guys have noticed, but I tend to to come to the... <laughs> I'd go to bat for parents mm-hmm. often. Um, I often try and see and empathize with their decisions and how they... Um, kind of came to what they did and just the fact that he seems to have done that as well and uh empathizes with his father even though he did have to kind of like raise himself he doesn't hold any resentment or anything like that and And he's almost grateful for it exactly yeah I, i just really felt a kind of kinship with my namesake no i'm just kidding your namesake But I felt a kinship with Kendall uh, for his sentiments in that regard. So I appreciated that very much. And he just, he seems to have a good thing to say about everybody, which could also (laughs) maybe not be so great sometimes, especially (laughs) with his abusive relationships. But really loved them. They were lovely. And I remember when we interviewed them just being so excited to talk to them about their story and not about our story so yeah yeah they were really incredible which is why we cannot wait to bring you more of them next week Mm -hmm. as we round out kendall's story and Corey by proxy in the meantime we're signing off we hope you leave feeling a little bit more normal in your own family dynamic excited for the possibilities and curious about the world around you Have a good week, take things in stride, and leave people better than you found them. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.